From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Oregon Governor Tina Kotek was sworn into office in January, becoming the state's 39th governor. As one of her first acts as governor, she followed through on a campaign promise and declared a housing state of emergency, taking a more aggressive approach to addressing homelessness and a lack of affordable housing. Kotek is just the third female governor in the state, and along with Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey, the first lesbian governor ever elected in the country. In her inaugural speech, Kotek also promised to build bridges between Oregonians across the state. She said she's using Oregon's last Republican governor, Vicatia, as inspiration to listen and lead with the same authenticity. She quoted him in her speech. Here's what he said in his inaugural address. Quote, I have and will continue to listen, and not just only to those people who have the means and the urgency to press their case in Salem. I will go to our people to listen. I will go to every county of this state. I will be in your own communities, not talking to you, but meeting with you. April 19th, Mark Kotek's 100th day in office. Ever since the presidency of Franklin D. Roosevelt, elected leaders have been evaluated on their first 100 days in office. So in this week's episode of Straight Talk, we are joined by Governor Kotek, and we take a look at what she's accomplished and what she's learned in her first 100 days as the leader of Oregon. Welcome to my guest, Oregon Governor Tina Kotek. Welcome back to Straight Talk. It's been a while. Yes. You've been on Straight Talk before, but never as governor, so congratulations on your election. Thank you, Laurel. It's great to be here. As you mark your first 100 days, what's it like being governor? Is it what you expected, what you hoped for? How is it hitting you here? It is such an incredible privilege to think that you have um, the opportunity and responsibility to, to help improve things. Um, I still pinch myself every day. I'd still like, oh wow, I'm the governor. Um, I mean, I worked in the legislature, you know that. It's different being governor. It's a different set of um, decisions you have to make. People ask you for different things, but it's a privilege and I'm just so honored to be doing it. Well, you promised that you would visit every county in the state in your first year, all 36 counties as part of your One Oregon tour. What's that been like? How many have you visited so far and what's your big takeaway? Well, we've gotten to eight counties so far. It's amazing. I love this state. I'm sure, I mean, anytime you can be out talking to people and listening to what's going on in their communities, it's just an amazing experience. I've been impressed by the can-do attitude. People be like, here's, what's, here's what we're doing really well. Here are some things that aren't going great. Here's how you could be helpful. No one is expecting me to come in and fix things. They want to be heard, they want to share. And whether it's housing and homelessness, mental health and addiction, talking to students in their schools, it's just been great, and it's inspired me and energized me every time I'm out in the in every county. And as I mentioned, you say that Vicatia is sort of your inspiration, the way he listened and the way mm -hmm. he led. And I understand a lot of people at these listening tours have been really vulnerable. They've really opened up to you. How has that affected you personally? It touches you as a person to know that people want to share with you. They're putting their trust in you. They're hoping you to be a friend and an ally. To hear families talk about what they've overcome, to listen to providers and, that, and what's going on for them every single day to help people who are in need. To listen to students and what they want to do with their lives. Um, it's humbling. 
and again, it's just every every time I come back from a, a trip, I, how much I love Oregon, how much I love Oregonians. Well, not everybody sees Oregon as one Oregon, as you know. Over in Eastern Oregon, 11 of the 15 counties in Eastern Oregon have voted to become a part of the Greater Idaho Movement. They want a divorce from Oregon. They don't feel like Oregon is representing their interests or listening to them. They can identify more with Idaho, and they want to see the borders changed. So they're part of Idaho. Probably won't happen, but it just shows how frustrated they are. Mm -hmm. And our Pat Doris went to Eastern Oregon oh, yeah. for his own sort of listening tour, and he met a, a man named Mike Slinkard who has his own bow hunting uh, show. He lives in John Day, and he's a third-generation Oregonian. Pat asked him what he thinks about Oregon, and he also met a woman named Kathy Gill who's a server in John Day, and she's not sure about the greater Idaho movement. She's on the fence, but she doesn't think that political leaders in the western part of the state, including yourself, are listening to Eastern Oregonians. So let's listen to what they had to say, and I'll get your response. You know, up until about 10 years ago, I felt great about it. I was a proud Oregonian. Um, you know, <clears throat> back in, you know, around 2000, when we were starting my original businesses, the state was actually very, very helpful. Um, but, you know, now, you know, to us, it just, there's a lot of uh, sort of craziness going on in the, you know, in the state. Um, you know, we're getting laws passed that, that we don't agree with. We really don't feel like we have a lot of representation. Um, you know, we're getting taxed way more than we ever have before. And as a business person, it makes it very difficult to, to be located here. If I didn't have my roots so deep in Grant County, I'd probably be in Idaho already, to be honest with you. But I have my, my elderly parents I'm taking care of here and, and things like that. So. I think she should come and listen and listen to everyone and get everybody's opinions. But I still don't think it's going to change their mind. I don't. I think they take care of the city people. The votes are there. You can see it. You know, we don't have much of a say when it comes to any part of voting. So, Governor, if you could sit across the kitchen table from Mike and Kathy, what, what would you say to them? Well, first, I would say thank you for being honest. And I would say it's great to be back in John Day. I've been there before. Look forward to going back. So I would love to sit down and have a cup of coffee, in my case, tea, um, and talk to folks across the table. Um, I hear you. I'm a governor for the whole state. How can I be a friend of this part of the state? We're all Oregonians. And I like your, your term about divorce. I see this as a family dispute, right? We are one family here in Oregon, but we're not listening to each other very well. So my job as governor is to hear, hear you, figure out what I can do differently. Because if the state's not working for every part of the state, it's not working. And my job is to make sure every part of the state feels heard, feels that what is happening, on the west side in the Salem corridor also helps them. My job is to make sure everyone's lives can be better. And you can't figure that out unless you talk to the people in every part of the state. So that is why I'm visiting every county in my first year to sit down and hear what is going well and what could be better and how I can be helpful. As we look at your first 100 days in office, what do you think is your most significant accomplishment? What are you most proud of? I'm proud of the urgency that we've brought to the top issues. 100 days is a, is a bit of a sprint, and we have ramped up quickly, and we have stayed focused on the main issues that, if you go anywhere in the state, people are talking about. Housing and homelessness, mental health and addiction, and making sure our students can read. So we have been successful of setting the groundwork, passing bills to get money out the door for our shelters, making sure we can have more access to treatment in communities and working on a bill to improve literacy across our state. The focus, I'm very proud of the focus. Um, look, we got here and a lot of these challenges 
it took a, quite a few years, right? We're not going to fix it in the first 100 days, but you want to set a tone. You want to say we are on this and we are focused and we are going to hold everybody accountable to make progress on specific outcomes. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, you declared an emergency when it comes to housing mm -hmm. and homelessness, and the legislature quickly passed a $200 million package of two bills. They want to get that money right out the door. And last week, you already started distributing some of that money, but I'm sure you hear at some of your listening tours, Oregonians frustrated that they've passed a lot of measures with a lot of money. They've seen the legislature approve a lot of money to address homelessness, and they don't see things improving. Is this money, what you're doing now, really going to make a difference? I believe so. I, I agree. It is not just about the money. It is about the focus and coordination you're bringing. So the $200 million that was passed by the legislature, 155 of that, that it's going out directly to communities to prevent homelessness, to build more shelter capacity, to rehouse people who've been put, you know, gotten into shelter but need to get into permanent housing. We have said by the end of the year, we will add uh, 600 new shelter beds and we will rehouse 1,200 people. That is the floor. And the money that is going out, and it's going out this month, is for those specific targets. It's not like, oh, here's the money and we don't care what you do with it. No, I want to know your reporting. I know you're actually hitting your goals. Um, people expect progress, and I do too. And I'm going to walk alongside these, these communities and say, we're with you, we've given you money, but we got to hit our goals. And I think we're going to get there because we've brought this emergency urgency to the issue. Well, because of your expectations for accountability, when you were doling out the money last week yeah. to Portland and Multnomah County, they were supposed to get over 18 million. You didn't give that money right away because you were disappointed in the collaboration between the city and county and also the details they provided. Let's listen to what you said last week at a news conference. In the case of Multnomah County and City of Portland, I'll be honest, I was disappointed that they didn't have more clarity. Uh, I've sat through several meetings about trying to understand existing capacity, who's paying for what, where does the money come from, what's the city committed to, what's the county committed to. They need to get their stuff together. And you've been meeting regularly, and you promised to, with Mayor Wheeler and Sheriff Vega-Peterson. How would you describe that relationship when it comes to homelessness and housing and, and what your expectations are? Well, I know that the mayor and the chair take the, the situation very seriously. I'm just asking very specific questions. It's not enough to say, we'll get to it. It's like, well, how are you going to get to it? And my frustration with those resources was, they kind of said what they wanted to do, but I needed more detail before I could say, yes, the money is coming your way. We're going to see that plan. I know they're going to get it together. All I know is people need to understand that no matter how daunting this problem is, there is a pathway to get people from the streets into shelter, into homes. We have to be absolutely focused on doing that. And that's the message I have to the mayor and to the chair. And I'm here to help you. But this is an everyday conversation, not like let's come you know, once a month. This is an everyday conversation because we have too many people living outside. The budget that you propose is $116.5 billion, but the lawmakers have about $32 billion that they can work with that's not accounted for. What else do you want them to do with that money when it comes to homelessness and housing, if you could have your way? That's a great question because the, the money that was passed uh, a couple weeks ago that we are now going to get out to communities, that's a down payment. We need a strong two-year budget that puts a billion dollars more into housing construction, both affordable and housing for permanent supportive housing for folks who need more services. Because you want to build like 36,000 units a year. Right? Oh, yeah. So one of my emergency orders in my first full day in office was saying we have to have a new goal for construction, 36,000 units per year over the next decade. 
that's going to take a lot of work. And it's not just the state paying for this. It is a private-public partnership. We have a new council that's going to have very specific recommendations of how do you build it? Where is your land availability? How do you fix permitting? How do you fix building codes? Who's, you know, who's going to build these homes? We have to have a workforce conversation. So you can tell from these, these answers is that it's not just a solution and walk away. It's a solution and then you go down three or four layers deep and say these are all the things we need to do to accomplish it. And I hear people say we want to address homelessness and then they say they don't want more housing. I'm here to tell Oregonians we will not solve our homelessness problem unless we also have more housing. Because we have a deficit, right? We have, we have to catch up. We have an incredible deficit. We're down 140,000 units. And that's what no one knew moving here. That's right now. We have to build more housing. And we have to do it in a way that fits our communities. And I think we can do that. Um, we shouldn't be um, afraid of change and growth, but it has to be smart. It has to be within our land use laws. And I think we can do that. And we won't get people off the streets unless there's more places for people to live. You've mentioned this and you're also focused on, on mental health, mental health treatment, and you appointed a new director of behavioral health, Ebony Clark, yeah. who was the Multnomah County Health Director. She's been here on Straight Talk before. What do you hope she's able to accomplish in that role? The number one thing I hear from providers is there's not a coherent system. We're putting more money into the system, but we're not having outcomes. They're, they're too disconnected, too many silos. Ebony and the team at Oregon Health Authority are gonna come up with a better plan. We're gonna use the money better, and we're gonna say, no matter where you are, you have a place to get care. And we have to support the providers to do that work. That means helping them stay in the job, have reasonable workloads, get paid better. If, we, if there's no one there to take care of people, it doesn't matter how good our system is. So um, I think you know uh, the First Lady, uh, Amy Kotek-Wilson, she's a social worker. We talk about this a lot. It's like. The providers know what they need. Listen to the providers, build a better system, treat people better. Well, Ebony Clark ha has her work cut out for her. And one of the things that I'm sure you're very aware of is the drug crisis. Yeah. And the drug crisis in particular on Portland streets. And it was very evident Southwest Washington and Forth uh, earlier this month when yeah. police responded to 11 overdoses in just three days, three people died. We talked to a young man named Nate who overdosed and he was revived after three oh, doses wow. of Narcan. And he overdosed right across the street from Pete's Market. And we also talked to a gentleman who works there, Russ Tambert, who expressed frustration with the situation he's seeing right outside his front door. So let's hear from, from Nate and from Raz. Took a really big um, inhale of uh, fentanyl and uh, I just, I guess I went out and I just woke up to a bunch of people surrounding me and swarming me. And um, so I guess I had, had been Narcan three times. Since the overdose, how many times have you smoked thus far? About 15 to 25 times today. And it's probably not even noon yet. I've been working here three months and already I'm jaded to the fact that they smoke fentanyl outside. Because I see it every day, um, I walk by people, I don't know whether they're dead or alive. People trying to resuscitate them, coming in asking for Narcan. Do you think the city and police are doing enough to help this crisis? They're doing all they can. I mean, their hands are tied because it's not, it's not illegal. So let's, let's talk about that, Governor. When you listen to that, I know the mayor ordered some more patrols out there 24-7 and they're clearing some camps. But when you see that and you hear that, how, how does that make you feel about what's going on on the streets of Portland? I'm frustrated for our small business owners. I'm frustrated for, for Nate, who's trying to get sober and clean. Um, what I would say to Nate is 
I'm glad you're trying to, you know, to get your life on track. My job is to help you get the help you need. What do you need? If you're on the streets right now, we got to get you into a shelter where you feel comfortable so you can get connected to services and get you into housing. It's very difficult to get clean if you're living on the streets. So, um, so that's one focus. Well, let me just ask you about that before mm -hmm. we move on to what about a sobering center? Because somebody like Nate can't get into a treatment center. There's not a vet available a lot of times, but, and they want to get clean, but maybe they change their mind later. How is it to get them in? Could we have a sobering center where they could go to wait for a bed in a treatment center. I do support that. In fact, on, on my uh, county tours, I was just out in Columbia County. They're trying to build a, a crisis stabilization center so someone has a place to go when they're saying, I'm ready to get help. They have a place to stabilize before we can find them a bed for treatment. You absolutely need that. We are under-resourced in Portland, and I've been talking to the city and county about making sure we can go down that path. Absolutely necessary. When you are ready, whatever that moment is, there has to be a place right. for you to go. And we are really missing that. Um, so we have to work on that. And for the small business owner, or for the folks working in the stores, um, I'm, I'm talking a lot with the mayor about increasing public safety resources. It is not legal to sell Illegal drugs like fentanyl, you cannot, you know, you should be cited and jailed. You for can doing use that. it, but not stop. Right, and, th and that's a very, you know, small personal use. I don't support people shooting up on the streets, right? We have to make it easier for people to get the help they need or a safer place to do that. But right now, what we have is not sustainable. So it is a public safety response. It's a treatment response. It's both. It's a both and conversation. But you know, what I was hearing is people were selling on the streets. You can't. I mean, that's illegal. What about Measure 110 that made mm -hmm. uh, decriminalize use of s small amounts yeah. of drugs? What about modifying 110 so that there are more consequences, so that if people use, that they have to get treatment? Um, or something like that, because that's how Portugal does it. We, we modeled this after Portugal, but we don't have the consequences. We don't have any teeth. They just do citations, and that's pretty much it. Well, we're not even doing some of that. You know, when the measure was passed, um, we, we kind of just stood back and said, okay, it's just going to happen. We, I have been spending time with the Oregon Health Authority, making sure the Measure 110 money is being effectively used uh, to provide more treatment options, and it is. We have thousands of more people getting access to peer-supported services, housing services they didn't have before to get sober. Um, in fact, I'm visiting with providers when I go to counties and ask them, what are you doing? What do you need? How are your $110 being used? Um, I also think it is critical to work with law enforcement. There's money in my budget to train law enforcement officers. It's like, okay, you encounter someone who's using on the streets. What do you do? The citation is important. It is important to connect them to the hotline. It is important to connect the hotline person to treatment, right? We're just, we're dropping the ball in terms of what the measure asks for. So my job right now is to make it work a lot better because that's what voters so, support. So no modifications to 110, just try to enforce what you already have? Well, there's a couple modifications being done by the legislature to, to clarify how the funding is being done and some of the other, you know, tweaks because there's no measures ever perfect. But I'm focused on the treatment side and making sure Law enforcement understands how to connect people to the treatment. Governor, we need to take a break, but when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Governor Tina Kotek. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter, and we're talking with Oregon Governor Tina Kotek as she marks her first 100 days in office. Governor, once again, welcome back to Straight Talk. Let's talk about the Chips and Science Act yeah. that Congress passed last year. Might sound a little dull to some people, but really not because it's going to could mean a lot of business for Oregon because Oregon got stung last year when Intel mm -hmm. decided to expand, but it took 
all the billions of dollars to Ohio instead of Oregon. So this CHIPS Act is meant to provide billions of dollars for companies to yeah. be able to build or expand manufacturing facilities. How important is it to you to make sure that Oregon gets some of that action? Oh, it's really important. And we deserve to have that money. We have 15% of the national workforce in the semiconductor industry today. We are well positioned. We have lots of assets here from Intel to our entire ecosystem of the semiconductor industry. And for those who are watching, those little chips, they're in your car, they're in your devices. We make them here, right? We've done research and development on those types of chips at Intel uh, over the years. We are a research hub. We have the workforce. We can build a bigger workforce. These are well-paying jobs. And people need to know that chips need to be made in the United States. The, the Secretary of Commerce was here a couple weeks ago. It's a national security issue. The United States needs to make more chips in our country. And so Oregon, we have the workforce, we have the know-how. This is Silicon Forest, you know, come on. The money should be here. We can grow here. And fortunately, the legislature has stepped up. We're going to have additional tools to you know, support our existing companies and also maybe lower some new ones. Well, let's talk about one of those tools that's somewhat controversial, a change to a 50-year-old land use law to allow for more semiconductor development on, on land that they need. Land is a big issue for people to locate here. The legislature passed a measure you signed it into law that gives you the power to designate up to eight sites, two of which could be 500 acres or more and six that are smaller. There are Republicans and Democrats who oppose that land use change because it was designed to protect farmland, to limit urban sprawl. It was passed under Governor Tom McCall. Why did you think it was important to, to change that land use law? Well, I believe and support our land use system. And we have a unique opportunity with the, the National Chips and Science Act. What that bill does, um, it comes with resources for some incentives, but it also says if you need to have some land outside of an urban growth boundary, here's an additional tool. But I want people to know that I'm gonna protect our farms, have thoughtful conversations. We have a lot of available land within urban growth boundaries now, but if we need a larger plot, we're gonna have a very good conversation before we do anything that could affect our farmland. Um, we don't know, but it is really good to have that tool. If somebody doesn't wanna sell, would the state be able to take that land? Well, I'm, my understanding is there are existing plots out of, outside of urban growth boundaries that would fit those criteria in the bill. My question is, will we need to access those? I don't think we know yet. We'll be doing outreach to companies to see if they want to grow here. Um, but we have a lot of companies who want to grow, and they have the land within their boundaries now. Well, let me ask you, when at the end of your first year, how will you measure success? Are there fewer people living on the streets? Do more people have access to the care they need when they want to get sober or address their significant mental health issue? Are people feeling safer? I know that might sound very vague, but I think I also want to look at the numbers. By the end of this year, our goal is to rehouse 1,200 more households and build 600 new shelters. Did we hit that mark? How are students doing in school? I have a literacy bill that I'm hoping to pass with investment uh, for this upcoming school year in the fall. Do we, are we putting more tools out there for our students to read? I'm gonna be concretely looking at those main topics and say, have we made progress? And I'm gonna be honest with people. If we haven't, I'm gonna tell them. And if we haven't, I'm gonna you know, take responsibility and move forward. This isn't, this isn't politics as usual. We have to change how we do business if we're gonna solve our biggest problems. And what do you hope Oregonians, how do you hope they measure your success at the end of your first year, at the end of your first term? Do you feel that state government has your back? Am I being transparent? 
are we making progress in the areas you care about? And have I listened? Do you feel heard in all parts of the state? I, I am hoping I'm gonna work really hard to get there, but I think those are very concrete things that people can say, yep, I feel better. I think we're doing a good job. About 20 seconds left for a final thought to leave with viewers tonight. I want every Oregonian to know that I am excited to be working with them. And there are challenges out there, but people should be hopeful. Hopefully they can be engaged and be part of the solution. This is not one person. It is not one set of government leaders doing the work. It's all of us solving the problems together. Governor Kotek, thanks for joining us. There were a lot of questions I wanted to ask you, but the governor has graciously agreed to stay for a bonus round because I do want to talk about the kicker, the kicker <laughs> rebakes. I know a lot of people want to know how much money am I going to get back next year? So we're going to talk about that in the bonus episode. You can find that on KGW's YouTube channel. You can find it online and also on our podcast. You can find our podcast wherever you get podcasts. Search for KGW Straight Talk. Thank you for watching and for listening, and we'll see you next week for Straight Talk. My thanks to Governor Kotek. Okay.